I, uh, I heard this story about a little boy, and, uh, and he, he wanted to, uh, to pray one night. And so he, he knelt down beside his bed with his mom and his dad, and he started praying over everything that you can imagine that little boys would pray about at night. So he got down on his knees and clasped his hands, and he said, Dear God, thank you for mommy and for daddy, and thank you for today. And I pray that you would help me sleep really good tonight. And out of the corner of his eyes, he kind of cracked it open. He saw his grandmother walk down the hall. And so he said, and Lord, please get me that bicycle for my birthday that you know I really want. And his dad said, Johnny, you don't have to yell. God's not deaf. And he said, yeah, but grandma is. <laughs> I heard another, another story about another little kid, because I guess those are the funniest stories when it comes to prayer. But this... This other little boy said, man, I really want a baby brother. And so his dad said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to pray and ask God for a baby brother. Every single day when you wake up, you just need to pray, God, please give me a baby brother. And, and the dad said, you know what? I bet if you prayed that prayer about every day for the next two months or so, you would probably get a baby brother. And that little boy said, okay, I'm going to do it. Every day for that first month, he, he, he would wake up and he would go, God, please give me a baby brother. Wake up the next day, God, please give me a baby brother. The next day, God, please give me a baby brother. And he was out playing with his friends one day and he was telling his friends about what he was doing. His older, wiser neighbor friends who were like eight, they said, that's not how babies come. He said, really, that's not? He said, no. He said, they come from somewhere way else, but it's definitely not praying. And so he stopped praying. He said, fine, I'm not going to do it. And about a month later, his mom went to the hospital. She came back from the hospital. And that night, the dad said, hey, come, come here real quick. I want to I show you something. And he walks into his parents' bedroom. And his dad pulls back the sheet. And when he does, there are two baby boys laying there in the bed. And the little boy freaks out. And his dad said, see, I told you, if you would pray you would get a baby brother. And the little boy said, aren't you glad I stopped praying when I did though? <laughs> Today we are talking about this really cool, really intimate, really personal, really weird thing called prayer. Prayer is something that we probably think we know a lot about because we hear about prayer even in the most secular settings in our culture. Even from some of the most secular you know, far from faith, it seems people, they reference prayer a lot of times. And so we, we kind of have this idea that we understand what prayer is. Maybe it's just a wish. Maybe it's actually just throwing good thoughts and good hopes and dreams out into the universe. And maybe some of those will stick. Maybe it's talking to God. Maybe it's talking to a loved one that's passed away who can then maybe kind of mediate on your behalf to God or to the universe or to some creative being that will allow those things to come to pass. For those who are part of the Christian faith, maybe you, you really do believe that it's talking to God, but you're not so sure that he hears you or that he can talk back to you. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what prayer is today in this continuation of our series called The Summer at the Mount. We're going to look at this idea of prayer. And, and I ran across this quote before we ever get into the scripture. I ran across this quote, and I've used it before talking about something else related to prayer. But I thought this was incredible. A man by the name of W.S. Bode says this, Prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. 
Now, the word omnipotent is one of a few words of similar kind of makeup that describe the nature and character of God. But this omnipotent word is the word that references the power of God. His, he's all-powerful. And so when we look at this idea that prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence, what we're saying is that prayer is us understanding our finiteness leaning on the infinite nature of God, the all-powerful nature of God, looking at there's nothing more powerful than you, God. And so in my weakness, I can't control everything. I can't accomplish everything. I can't bring about everything. And so I'm leaning on your power in my weakness. And that's what prayer is. It's bridging that gap. Prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. And so we want to jump back into this, uh, this sermon that Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 which is referenced as the Sermon on the Mount. And all summer long we've been looking at it. We've just got a few weeks left. And today we're going to look at it in a message called Go to Your Room. So if you've got your Bibles, flip with me right to the middle chapter of the three we're referencing. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is uh, the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew, for those that are a little slow this morning. And uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels, which is the accounts of Jesus Christ, His life. And early in this book, we get this sermon that Jesus preached. It's kind of his longest or one of his longest, you know, kind of just sermons. He preaches much longer than I do most weeks anyway. But Matthew chapter 6, he jumps in in verse 5 to the idea of prayer. Let's read together Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, before we even get into really some of the other stuff, I was just reading this passage earlier this week in preparation for today because we were going to preach a different topic today. And if you walked in and you saw the poster, if it hasn't been removed or you looked on the Internet or whatever, we were going to do something totally different called Secret Service. We're going to push that into August for something else that we're doing. So. We changed the, the message on like Monday or Tuesday of this week. And so I went and looked at this passage of scripture. And as I was just kind of cursory reading, just overview kind of reading this, honest to goodness, it was almost like five huge things jumped out to me that I've never seen in this passage. Five big things that I think you need to know. So if you've got a worship guide, you want to take notes, you want to kind of type them into your phone or some kind of device. These are things that I think really will help all of us as it relates to prayer. If you think, man, I'm the greatest prayer in the world, or you think, I don't even know how to pray, what prayer is. It's really weird. It freaks me out, and I'm not doing it. Even those people need to write down these five things. The first thing is this. Even hypocrites pray. I mean, Jesus referenced that. He said, even the hypocrites pray a certain way. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So you don't need to think that prayer is only reserved for those who are like the best, most sold-out Christians. Jesus is referencing here that there are people, like I referenced, even in our culture today, who you would say they have no relationship with God. Even those people pray. Now, why they pray, their motives for praying, the way that they pray may not be the same way that you pray. But Jesus references here, even hypocrites pray. 
And so the, this idea that you have to achieve a certain level of spirituality, a certain level of faith, you have to be a certain maturity in your faith, that's not the case. You can pray no matter what your soul condition is, no matter who you are, what you've done, even hypocrites pray. The second thing is this, something happens when we pray. Jesus said several things here, but he said, truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. He's talking about those who are praying without with an improper motive. He's saying they've already received their reward. He's foreshadowing to what he's going to say in just another verse or so when he says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He said, if you do it in secret, he sees in secret and he will reward you. There's something happening when you pray. Now, I don't want us to get hung up here on what the reward is. We could get into that and spend a lot of time there. But the idea is that prayer affects change. Prayer affects something. God responds to prayer. When you pray with improper motives, you've already received your reward. There's not this transactional need for him to interact with that prayer because you're doing it out of improper motives. When you pray with a certain kind of pure motives, you're doing it in secret. The Father who sees in secret will give you your reward. There's something that happens when we pray. The third thing is this. Prayer is personal. We kind of referenced it just now, but he says, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. Now, that doesn't mean you can't ever pray in public. Doesn't mean that if you go out with a bunch of people for lunch today and you're sitting hypothetically at a Mexican restaurant and you sit there and everybody's got their fajitas and their burritos. Yes, I'm trying to make you uh, hungry and and you've already eaten the chips and salsa. You're a sinner because you already ate chips and salsa without praying over it. But it doesn't mean that if somebody looks at you and says, hey, John, why don't you pray for the food? That if you go, Lord, help, you're going to hell. That doesn't mean that. That's not what Jesus is saying here. You should, you should do that. But he is saying that the motive, the pure motive, is not for how people perceive you. It's not that you would pray these eloquent prayers that are filled with fancy words, what my grandfather calls $2 words, you know, those real fancy ones that seem to count for more than the $1 words we all use. It's not that you would pray in that kind of way. He says, listen, when you pray... When you're truly trying to connect to the heart of God with the things that are going on in your life, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. You're not praying to the passerbyers on the street corner. You're not just walking into the church praying as loud as you can, as eloquently as you can, so everybody around you will go, wow, I don't know who stood behind me in service, but man, can that guy pray. Right? Sean thought that was hilarious. But that's not what we're about here. He's saying, listen, I want you to pray in secret because prayer is personal. Prayer is not about the other people around you. Prayer is about you, the prayer, and God, the listener, the hearer, so that he can respond. The fourth thing that I thought just jumped out at me is it doesn't matter what you say. It does not matter what you say. What do he say? He says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, so... If he already knows what you need, then it's not really that important, the words that you say. If you say it as eloquently as you can, or you just say it in the mumbled, kind of jumbled vocabulary of faith that you have, God, I need help on this algebra test, or I'm going to fail, right? Or you pray the eloquent, just really sweet and sincere, it sounds like the King James language when it just comes out of your mouth. You're praying in Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. I mean, it is amazing. It just drips off of you. No matter what your words are, Jesus just told us right here that God already knew what you needed before you opened your mouth. He already knew. He already knows. So then, obviously, the follow-up question is, well, then do I even need to pray? Right? None of you thought that. There's some other sarcastic people that don't go to church here anymore, but they would have thought that question. 
If it doesn't matter what I say, then do I even need to pray? Because God already knows. The fifth thing that I saw when I read this passage is that it matters what you say. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you say because he already knows what you need before you ask it. But it does matter what you say because Jesus then gave us an example of how we should pray. He said, listen, it matters that you interact with the Heavenly Father. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Pray then like this. It doesn't matter that you pray. It doesn't matter what you say, because it's not that you're giving God brand new information about you. Like, it's not that when you, if you kneel down or you sit in your car, you close your eyes. If you're sitting in your car, don't close your eyes. But if you're praying out loud or you're whispering or it's quiet or it's loud or whatever it is, and you say, God, I need your help. Our money's run out, but the bills haven't stopped. God is not sitting in heaven going, oh my gosh, this slipped up on me too. I I did not know that. If you say, God, I, I need you to heal my grandmother. I need you to do a really a unbelievable miracle in this relationship over here. God is not sitting there going, oh, I had no idea. Thank you for letting me know. My email's been down. I had no clue that that was going on over there. Thank you for alerting me to the situation. No. God already knows the needs. But God does want to have a relational connection with you. He does want to have a conversation with you. Now, I use these examples a lot as it relates to marriage and uh, communication within marriage and my, my wife and I. So if you're single in the room, don't feel like that if you're not married, you can't pray or you can't communicate because that's not the case. But one of the greatest examples I have of healthy communication is the health or unhealth of the communication in our marriage. Just because my wife knows something doesn't mean she doesn't want to talk to me about it. Right? Can I get an amen from any lady in the room? Because it's way too quiet right there. And guys, just because you think they know doesn't mean you shouldn't say something. I, I want to talk to my wife. I-, I want her to talk to me. I want to share with her. I want us to hear one another. And that is the same thing that's happening in prayer. Prayer is a conversation. It's a two-way conversation between you and God, your creator. It matters what you say. And Jesus gave us this incredible Prayer that we can use as a guideline, not as you should recite it exactly just like that, though we can. It's not that he's saying this is the only prayer you can pray. He says, pray like this, pray in this similar fashion, because prayer is this conversation. He wants you to open up your heart and pour out your heart to a God who created that heart. To a God that wired you with the emotions that you have, to a God that is leading you through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not unknown to him that you're walking in a place that you're afraid of. But he wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear the emotions that you have, the struggles that you have. Whitney George, who's a staff pastor at a church out in Tulsa, says this, Prayer keeps us humble when things are good and confident when things are bad. Prayer keeps us humble when things are good and confident when things are bad. We aren't just praying to change God's mind in bad situations. We aren't... if you think about your prayer life, maybe you just do. Maybe we only pray when things are going bad. I'm guilty of that sometimes. But we pray in the good times and the bad times. We, if I only talk to my wife when we had a problem and I had to fix it, then we don't have healthy communication. We need to be talking when things are going good and talking when things are going bad. We need to have open communication. The same is true in my conversations with God. There's a theologian, his name's Soren Kierkegaard, and he says this, the function of prayer is not to influence God but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. 
Because if, if prayer is weakness leaning into omnipotence, I'm actually admitting in prayer that I am too weak to do what I need God to do. And so I'm saying, God, I, I am weak and you are strong. And I need you to do something that I'm incapable of doing. And so I'm not praying to necessarily influence or change God. I'm actually praying to affect the nature of who I am in relationship to God. I'm saying, God, I need direction here. I can chart my own course, but I need your direction. I can't heal this person. I can't create that job. I can't create more money. I can't create relational harmony. I need you to show up in these situations and bring about answers and bring solutions to problems, many of which I created on my own. I am weak, but I'm leaning into your omnipotence. Prayer is not about influencing God. It's about changing the nature of the one who prays. I want to ask you a question. What do you know about the prayer life of the person in your life who you think is the greatest Christ follower in the world? Like the person that you would envision. I'm I'm not talking about Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. I'm talking about somebody that you know. Do you know someone who you think, man, they're just a really good Christian, really good Christ follower. Like everything about their lives seems to be pointing in the direction of them like following after God. What do you know about their prayer life? Anything? If you don't, what would you assume about their prayer life? That person that you envision, they walk with God. I mean, as much as humanly possible, they're not perfect. They make mistakes. They don't have all their stuff together. But man, they seem to really want to demonstrate the nature and character of God. What would you imagine their prayer life to be about? What would you imagine their prayer life to be like? There's some people in my life that immediately come to mind. And the ones that I know, I know what their prayer life's like. The ones that I don't know, I assume based on the things that I know about them that they have a pretty good prayer life. And when I say prayer life, I'm not talking about something separate from their other life. Like they go put on their prayer hat and go do something over here in their prayer life. And they're living a double life over here. I'm talking about this, the aspect of their life that involves prayer. And those people, they have, they have a good prayer life. They seem to pray and talk to God regularly about all kinds of things. Like when things are going good, I hear them talking about thanking God for those things. And not just with their lips do they say, say those things. They, they actually seem to thank God for those things. When things are going bad, I, I hear them talking about really seeking God in that situation. Asking God for wisdom. Asking God for a miracle. Asking God for help. I, I hear them say those things and not just with their lips. I, I seem to actually see them do those things. Because... If, if you're kind of a cursory Christian, I think we can all be honest here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and embarrass yourself, but I think, I think we're all guilty of this. A lot of times we'll say, yeah, yeah, I'll be praying about that. And we don't. Or we'll think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody will say, hey, man, will you, will you pray with me about this situation? You'll be like, absolutely. And you don't think about it again until you see that person. You're like, oh, my gosh, Lord, help whatever the situation was that I can't remember that I told him I'd pray about last time. Man, I've been praying about that situation. How's it going? Right? Nobody's ever done that. Couple giggles, couple giggles from the guilty. Right? Everybody else is just much better poker face, but you know in your heart you're a liar. Um, man, I, I just like we are so we're so conditioned, especially in the South. We're like in the Bible Belt that like instead of saying, "Man, I'm so sorry," instead of saying, "Yes, I'll agree with you," "Yes, I I I, I want the same things you want," we we say, "I'll be praying about that for you." I'll join with you in prayer about that, brother, sister, a kindred Christ spirit uh, that we have. I will, 
be in agreement with you on those things. And we never do that. Because why? A lot of times we use prayer as a mask for disobedience. We do. We cover up our disobedience with this sense of prayer. Sometimes it's as simple as this. We know what God's saying to us. It doesn't even have to involve anybody else. We know God's saying, go do this. And we go, yeah, I need to pray about that a little more. No, you don't. God gave you a directive. Go do it. There's no need to mask your disobedience in a sense of prayer. When God speaks, we should respond. But it's not necessarily about influencing God. It's about changing our nature. It's about creating change within me. I told you a couple weeks ago on Father's Day that one of my dad's objectives as a father was to teach me and my brother a couple of things. One of those was to teach us how to pray. And there, there are three basic ideas, as I thought about it this week, that, that I feel like he taught us about prayer. And these are not going to be on the screen. These are just kind of just shotgun thoughts here. But the first thing that he taught us about prayer was to start by thanking God. No matter what we're praying about, start by thanking God. Because it does what Jesus actually referenced here a little bit. And we're going to read in just a moment in another translation. But it changes the focus because we tend to start praying out of a need that we have. You ever thought about that? Like we pray when we're sitting in the DMV and we've got to take a new test for our license and we're not sure we know how to parallel park anymore. We're sitting in there. We've got to take a test. We're sitting in there. We gotta, you know, we're at the bank and we need this loan. We're sitting in our job. We're waiting out in the lobby. We're going into the meeting with our boss and we don't know how the meeting's going to go. Like immediately we thought, God, help me with this. And our focus is what? It's on us. It's on our situation. But one of the things, one of the greatest lessons my dad ever taught me was to start by thanking God. Instead of starting the focus of my prayer on me, I want to start with the focus on God. It's weakness leaning into omnipotence. I want to start on the omnipotent side. I don't want to start from a position of weakness. I want to start from a position of strength. And so what I want to do is I want to say, okay, God, thank you for what you've given me. I'm about to ask you in just a minute for a need. You already know what I have need of before I ask it. And you know what's coming. I'm not trying to bait and switch here, but I need to thank you for some stuff that you've given to me. I need to thank you for the life that I live. I need to thank you for the blessings that you've given to me that I did not deserve. I need to thank you that before I got up this morning, you had set a path for me today. I need to thank you that I got up this morning and that I can breathe breath in and out of my lungs and that I could put my feet on the ground and walk out of the house that you've blessed me with to get into the car that you've blessed me. How incredible is the prayer that you have need of when you start by thanking God for everything that he's done? What I've done is I've taken the focus on my one measly little thing, no matter how great it seems, by focusing on the goodness and mercy and greatness of God. So the first thing that I think I need to do when I start praying is I need to start by thanking God. And Jesus even referenced this. He said, our father who is in heaven. Hallowed or holy are you. Hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Before we ever get to anything that's related to my specific needs, I've got to turn my attention and focus on who God is. Our Father in heaven who has a different perspective than me. Holy are you. Great are you. Big are you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And I'm going to ask, and if it fits within your kingdom and your will and the plans that you have, I hope that you can bring these things to be. But I want you to know that I'm thankful for who you are. And I trust in you. The second thing my dad taught me about prayer is that it's not a one-way conversation. I've referenced it a couple times. Prayer is a two-way conversation. Now, that seems a little weird for some of us. Because we're not so sure how God responds to us in prayer. 
we know that when we pray, sometimes it sounds like what I'm doing, where verbal words, audible words are coming out of our mouth. But for many of us, myself included, I have never heard the audible voice of God come through some atmospheric whatever into my ears and be received that way. Now, I've heard God speak to me in a variety of ways, which we're going to talk about in a second. But it's not an audible one-way to an audible two-way conversation many, many times, though it can be. But the second thing that my dad taught me is I have to look and listen for God's response. It's a two-way conversation. And so what I have to do is I have to look and listen for God's response. Now, many times, and this is not a cop-out. And if you think it's a cop-out, please come talk to me about this. This is not a cop-out. Many times, God's answer to your prayer is found in what he's already given you, the Bible. Not every single time you may be praying about something specifically. And I don't think that if your aunt's name is Jean and you're praying for God to heal her, you're going to open up to like a brand new book, Second Leviticus, and it's going to say God healed Jean in the book, you know, the year of 20. It doesn't say that. But what we can lean into is in the gospel account specifically and in other places throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that God has the power to heal the sick. And here's what we know, and I've referenced this many times, mostly out of my own story. But if you pray a prayer that doesn't seem to get answered, many times that comes in situations like that where we're praying for healing. Just because God healed somebody many times through Jesus in the gospel accounts doesn't mean that he will heal everybody just like you and I want them healed on earth every single time we pray it. Because if you look at the accounts of the gospels, you see these people that walked up to Jesus and they were sick and they needed healing and and Jesus healed them to do what? To demonstrate that he could. To demonstrate that he had the power to heal. But there's, this, there's one of the craziest stories in all of Scripture where Jesus actually walks up to a pool, the pool of Bethesda, and he heals one guy, stepping over other sick people that he does not heal to heal that guy. And that guy gets up and walks, and all the rest of those people are left there sick while Jesus walks away. That'll mess with your faith a little bit, doesn't it? But you know what it shows here that Prayers aren't answered just because you pray them the way that you want them answered. But that if you are praying for something that you're unsure if God has the power to do it, he does. And he demonstrates that. He calls Lazarus out of the grave. Because even death is not more powerful than the spoken words of the omnipotent God in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean he calls other people out of the grave every single day. Doesn't mean as much as I want my mom back, I could pray that. Now, he could. He could do that miracle, and I believe he can. He has the power, but it doesn't mean that he necessarily will. And so what do I have to do? I have to look and listen for God's response to my prayers. Many times that's found in the Bible when I see examples of him answering prayers like I'm praying to grow my faith. Other times I might get a response from some obscure seemingly non-spiritual place. I could be listening to a song and the song doesn't have to say Jesus, 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 Jesus. It could be any kind of song. But something about the lyrics of the song, something about the melody, something about the harmonies of the song. There's something that's going on in that song, which by the way is under the umbrella of all the things that God has created. And God might use that instrument that lyric, that song, that spoken word to, to respond to me, to assure me of something, to help me to know that he knows what's going on in my life. 
I could be watching a movie. I could be watching a television show. I could be reading a book. I'm not a big nature person per se. I could be walking through the woods. If I am, it's probably because I'm lost. But I could be walking through the woods and see something, and that could be the way that God chooses to get my attention to respond to the prayer that I have prayed. Because I can assure you of this. God responds to prayers. And if I haven't seen or heard his response yet, I just need to be patient. And I just need to keep looking. And I just need to keep listening. Here's what Jesus said. He said, my sheep know my voice. Many times we don't know his voice because there's so many other voices we're listening to that he gets drowned out. That there's a lot of other voices that kind of sound like a good moral teaching voice and it sounds like a little bit like what Jesus might say. And so we listen to that voice instead of listening for the voice of God as he responds to our prayers. The first thing that my dad taught me about prayer is that I need to start by thanking God. The second thing that he taught me about prayer is that I need to listen and look for God's response because it's a two-way conversation. And the third thing that my dad taught me about prayer that, that might be the most important is that I can pray specifically for what I need. I don't have to pray these really general prayers. I'm so guilty of this. I remember talking about this in my, in my life group about a year or so ago, and we all kind of struggled with this some, but it, it's, never, it's never left me that we all talked about how we revert back to praying general prayers because we prayed specific prayers that didn't get answered the way that we thought they should specifically get answered. It was our own sense of fear and our own sense of personal history and our own sense of, if I can be so honest about it, playing God ourselves to think that, I prayed this prayer specifically, and here's how it specifically should be answered. And if it gets answered in a different way, then it wasn't the way God should have answered it. Because me, little God, said that's not the way it should have been. And so we get hurt by that. We get disillusioned by that or disenchanted by that. And so we go, okay, I'm not going to pray specific prayers anymore. I'm going to make sure my prayer gets answered. So I'm just going to pray, not God heal this person that I love. I'm going to pray, God, your will be done. And then if she lives, he answered it. If she dies, I guess he answered it too. And there's nothing wrong with praying your will be done. We're, we read that and we can see that in scripture where Jesus even defers to that. But you know what he did first? He petitioned God with the things that were in his heart. Let this cup pass from me, God. Don't let me have to suffer on the cross. But not my will, your will be done. I can leave myself in the comfort and in the hands of the will of God because I actually start prayers like that by saying your kingdom come your will be done but now personally here's the needs that I have needs for daily bread needs for forgiveness I've got specific needs and I want these things to come to pass I can pray specific prayers this is not on the screen but I've referenced it a ton of times from this stage, Pastor Mark Batterson from Washington, D.C. says this. He wrote a book about this called The Circle Maker, about prayer. But he said this. He says, God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. Every time I hear that, I am challenged to pray bolder prayers. To pray prayers that are more specific. That understand my weakness, but understand his omnipotence and to lean into that, to be okay with that and say, God, I lean into your all power. And I say, God, I need you to do something. I've referenced my dad a lot. I won't reference him for six months because I've talked about him too much recently and his head's going to get really big. 
This is something he wrote in a book that he wrote several years ago. He says, my friend Dave runs an international care ministry that is engaged in crisis response and working, quote, on the ground with personnel to get resources to the point of need as quickly as humanly possible. And he did that for me in Louisiana when we were grappling with enormous needs in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. He said, later I learned that David and his team began moving resources into the periphery of the anticipated landfall of that hurricane, that horrific and devastating storm. They began moving hours before there was even a need. It was his strategy to be as close as humanly possible, to maximize his opportunity to help and to heal. It is the example of the healing Savior and the Almighty God. Before you need help, resources. Before you need help, resources are... Sorry, I lost my spot. Before you need help, resources are available to you. They're positioned close and available so that when we cry out, He's already there. That's the powerful underlying revelation of this precious promise spoken through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 65, 24. Listen to this. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I'll go ahead and answer their prayers. In other words, while the words are coming out of your mouth, the help is on the way and arrives in time and it is enough. What do you need to pray about? Like if, if you believed Isaiah 65, 24, that before you opened your mouth, God had already provided the answer. That just like my dad in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, he was living right there in Baton Rouge and he was over all of the churches in Louisiana for the Church of God denomination. They lost about 30 churches in that storm. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that were a part of their churches were displaced. And they were anticipating that it was going to happen. They were watching the same news stories that you and I watched. And they were anticipating that. And the, the man that he's referencing here who, who runs Compassion or Operation Compassion, they, they were readying supplies and readying things to help them. And they moved just about two or three hours away from where that storm was supposed to make landfall. So that as soon as the storm hit, and as soon as the storm passed, they could be there in three hours instead of having to be 10 or 12 hours away and then respond. What if God was doing that for you? What if the need that you have right now, God is just waiting right there for you to ask for help? What if he's right there? He's not a genie in a bottle. I don't, I don't promise you that you're going to get the exact answer, specific answer that you believe you should get. But I am saying that if you'll talk to God, one of two things is going to happen. It's going to happen exactly like you think it should happen. And he's going to answer it specifically exactly the way that you think it needs to be answered. Or probably the greater of the two is that you're going to understand more about the nature of God and the way that he responds to you. That he responds in a way that may be a little different than you envisioned originally, but it helps you to understand a little more about who God is and how God interacts with you. What is it that you have need of? And I know that prayer, again, I know that it's not an easy thing for a lot of us. It's, It's this weird idea for some of us. So I want to give you just this really easy technique that we're going to practice here together this morning. I want you to increase your prayer life, whatever that means, by two minutes a day this week. So if you pray nothing, it's going to be easy. Zero plus two equals two. Don't count your meals and don't count your like crisis moments. 
Don't count right before the big meeting. Don't count right before the big test. Don't count right before the the big fight. Don't count that. Find a moment where you can give two minutes to God. For many of us, it's probably in the car on the commute to work or on the way home. And this is, this is really simple because you go, oh my gosh, two minutes. I don't think I could pray two. I mean, it's a long time. Or, you know, I'll probably pray about five minutes a day. I don't think I could pray seven though. I mean, I think throughout the day, I pray 10, but 12, that's a, that's a lot. I'm praying pretty much everything I know in 10 minutes. I'm, what do I pray the other two minutes? Here's what I want you to do. I want you right now to think of four things. Four people, four needs, four somethings. I want you to pray. think of four things. You don't have to start praying yet. I just want you to think of four things. And I want you to pray for each of those things for 30 seconds. My dad, again, I told you, when he was teaching me to pray, he was talking about how can I pray for an hour a day? And so what he did is he took 20 things and he prayed three minutes for each of those things. Well, my mom and me and my brother, his parents his brothers and sisters and his job and some specific needs that were going on, he quickly got to 20 things. And he just prayed about those 20 things for three minutes. He said, actually, instead of being short, like he didn't get to the end and it was like 41 minutes, which is still a long time to pray. Usually what he found is while he was in the car driving a couple hours, he started out to pray an hour. And by the time he stopped, he realized it had been an hour and a half or two hours because he'd start praying about my mom get burdened about some of the things that he knew she was wrestling with and he would just intercede which means just to pray on their behalf she wasn't even praying about that thing in that moment so he's praying for her about the thing that she's worried about and instead of three minutes he'd been praying about five or six he'd get to me and man there was a lot of stuff to pray about for me he'd get to my brother and there was like three times the amount of stuff to pray about for him we all prayed for him you just keep praying but I'm not going to start by asking you to pray an hour I'm just going to ask you to pray for two minutes And I want us to do that together today. I'm going to pray for us. And when I say amen, I want you to pray for the next two minutes on your own. That may be the easiest thing in the world you've ever done. And you may be so insulted that I'm even asking you to do that. You're like, he is such an idiot. I pray way more than that every time I need to. But for some of us in the room, it'll be the first two minutes we've prayed in a while. And I want you to identify four things. I want you to pray for each of those four things for 30 seconds. And what I'm going to do is at the end of 30 seconds, I'm going to say, switch. At the end of 30 more seconds, I'm going to say, switch. At the end of 30 more seconds, I'm going to say, switch. At the end of that last 30 seconds, Trevor's going to be here and he's going to pray to close out our time. But I want you to pray for four things for 30 seconds apiece. In a two-way conversation with the God that created you and with the God that knows what you have need of before you ask it. With the God who spoke through the prophet Isaiah to say that before you even open your mouth to mention the words, he's already got the answer. That's who you're praying to. That's who you're talking to. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment. God, I thank you that we can pray. I thank you, God, for every answered prayer you've ever had in my life. Every time I've prayed a prayer and you answered it and you gave me more than I could have ever imagined. You didn't always answer it the exact way that I thought you were going to answer, but God, you always answered it. In some way, I learned something about your nature. It didn't mean I always liked it. It's not some kind of sugar plum thing here, rainbows and unicorns, where I agreed with everything that's ever happened in every part of my prayer life. But God, I know looking back now, some of the times that I was most frustrated, I actually see now your sovereignty at work, your omnipotence, your all-powerful nature just 
moving in a situation that I would have done differently, but thank God it went the way you said. Even when I didn't agree, I guess, God, I can lean into the fact that you do know everything. You're omniscient, not just all omnipotent. You know everything. And so when I don't know everything, I want it answered this way, but you know everything. And so, God, I trust you. I trust the answer prayers, even when I don't understand how you're answering them, God. And so now for every one of us in this room, we're going to pray for the next two minutes. We're just going to spend two minutes together, individually talking and listening to you. So God, today, I pray that you would hear our prayers and that you would respond to our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Start praying about the first thing. God, we thank you that in moments like this, we can put everything else aside, the stress of life, the worry of life, we can put it all aside, God, and just focus on you and you alone. God, I thank you. I thank you that we can come directly to you in prayer, God, that it is easy as having a conversation. And I hope that as we have had this moment of two minutes of praying, that we all realize how easy it is to pray, that it doesn't have to be time-consuming, that it's not difficult, but God, that we can just come to you with the things on our heart, the things that burden us, and just say, God, here they are. Help me with these things. God, I pray that as this week goes on, as everybody has been challenged to pray for two more minutes than they have been praying, God, I just pray that you just grow people's relationship with you, that they connect to you in a greater and deeper way. In your holy and precious name, I pray. Amen. I hope.